Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And I'm Lana Zack. I'm so glad to be here for my very first Powerhouse Politics as an actual contributor rather than a listener. Uh, it's terrific to have you, Lana. Tell tell everyone about a little about what you do here at ABC News. You're all over the place every day. All over the place. Usually uh, you can find me in over in the Senate, sometimes at the White House, covering all the big stories. And of course, you know, I love foreign news coverage. So we'll get to, I hope, some of that today. We sure will. And there is a lot going on. Um, um, with Mr. Carl not joining us this week, uh, we don't we have no information on his whereabouts, so don't ask. We we are not allowed to disclose. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is a lot because this, I think, is a it's a significant week in a, in a in a couple of different ways, Lana. This is the week where uh, it became clear how the Democrats are handling the Trump presidency on the congressional side. We spent a lot of this year talking about the shutdown, uh, the 2020 launches. Now we see what divided government really looks like, and it is messy. It is going to be ugly. Uh, and uh, I think as signaled by the Oversight Committee last week with Michael Cohen and now the Judiciary Committee this week with these 81 letters to Trump associates uh, and, uh, and and also organizations that are close to the Trump orbit, the Democrats are signaling that they are looking to look at everything, Lana. Every single thing. I mean, when we initially heard about it, uh, we understood that it was going to be more than 60. Which is uh, a big number, too. Which yeah. was huge at yeah. the time. We're like, whoa, 60. And and then it comes out on Monday, 81 different people and entities uh, with those requests for information. And uh, this is really a wide-ranging um, net that, that Democrats are throwing out. They're trying to see what President Trump has been doing, not just while he's been in office, but even before that. Yeah, to me, it was it was surprising on a couple of different levels. And we're going to talk to a member of the House Oversight Committee, Ro Khanna from California, who was part of the Michael Cohen investigation, uh, just uh, just uh, the questioning just last week and has a a lot of ideas of where things can go from here for Democrats. But it did strike me that uh, in, in some ways this list was unbelievably broad. And in a lot of ways it was unbelievably broad. In other ways, it was um, almost to be expected. There were very few surprises on the list. Almost all of these entities and individuals are people or things that have been connected to, in public reporting, um, allegations of misdeeds, um, either illegal or improper, potentially, uh, instances of business dealings or self-dealing uh, or just financial mismanagement, other things that, that th- th- this stuff's been out there for a long time. And it seems like uh, they are now going to be, they're talking about easily millions of documents that they're going to get back. And uh, to go as broad as that, I think it, it carries some pretty significant political risk. I've been struck by uh, the Republicans, of course, you'd expect have been very outspoken in saying that this is a fishing expedition. These are a lot of witch hunts that the Democrats are involved in. Uh, but for this all to come out before the Mueller report is back uh, and for it all to come out in this in this kind of wide fashion, it does seem like the Democrats have some danger here and looking like they're just going after them. Though I don't know that the timing would be any better if they did it after the Mueller report came out, because then the argument is either the Mueller report has a smoking gun, there is evidence of collusion, and then they then they would move to impeachment, or there isn't one, and then Democrats are asking for all this information, and it seems like the fishing expedition, but now as a direct response to not having what they wanted out of the Mueller report. So I don't think that, I, you know, I they're sort of darned if they do, darned if they don't yeah. on that front. I think that there's also something that's very interesting that's come out of uh, out of this particular investigation, this wide ranging investigation, which is a look at these financial crimes. And and um, in addition to the financial crimes, this this allegation that the president and his family are benefiting from 
from his time in office financially. And it is really unusual to be issuing um, requests for information from the the first family, from the president's sons and son-in-law. But this is a different type of presidency. And um, and both with his son-in-law and his daughter, uh, Ivanka, actually occupying real positions within this administration, and then his uh, sons functioning very much um, as political surrogates for for President Trump, um, both on Twitter and out on the campaign trail. Um, they're, they're not just members of the first family. Right. They are actually political operatives. And so um, it, it does make sense that uh, that they would be among those people being asked for information. Yeah, and, and I'd offer this as an important kind of caveat statement, um, in, in, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a, a, a statement of fact. Congress has a role in, in oversight. This, it, a constitutional role. This is, yeah, this is what Congress does. And it, you know, maybe it's an unfortunate statement that when you have a, um, a legislative branch that's of the same party as the president, you get less oversight. Uh, that's been the case DNR, and I think you saw it in the first two years of the Trump presidency. Um, I, I've been reminded a lot in the last couple of days, particularly on Twitter, uh, uh, by the, the statement by then House Oversight Chairman Jason Chaffetz about what the, t- the first two years of the Hillary Clinton presidency would have been like had she won back oh, a month or so. Uh, before the election, when most people thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, he was on the record saying that they had years worth of investigations teed up of Hillary Clinton. She hadn't won the election, much less been in office for a day. They were going to go after her time as Secretary of State. Uh, they were going to do a lot on Benghazi. They, were, they, they had things te- teed up for literally years before she did anything. So, yes, Democrats have every right to do this. That This is part of what they do. And yet, and yet, for Democrats who are worried about how you frame up the 2020 election, you are allowing the president to, well, say something like this. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace to our country. I'm not surprised that it's happening. Basically, they've started the campaign. So the campaign begins. But the campaign's actually, their campaign's been going on for the last two and a half years. Uh, so it's a shame. And the people understand it. When they look at it, they just say presidential harassment now, I don't know that any people are actually saying presidential harassment. They are now. <laughs> they are now. They are now. But I point. think that the the origin story of that phrase came from President Trump himself. That's right. He, he is, he's got people saying it. Um, but th- look, th- this this piece of the argument, you can put this up along with um, you know the Democrats are for socialism and uh, making us less secure and all the other straw men that, that he likes to, to put up there this one though gets has some has some bones on it now that uh, now that these letters have gone out now that these entities will be investigated and a lot of there is there is a 0.0 percent chance that all of these requests for documents uh, will will come back without court fights of some sort, without subpoenas and court fights. It's going to happen. And there's if there's less than a zero percent chance, if that's a possibility mathematically, and I'm bad at math, Lana, but <laughs> if that's a it, it, there's a less than zero chance that all of these investigations will get wrapped up before election day 2020. This is going to last literally years. And if President Trump is in office for lo- longer than two years, this will they will continue well beyond uh, th- this first term. Uh, and if he's out of office, it may get handed over to uh, outside entities or, or still congressional entities in other ways. Well, there's I mean, there's two things at play here. Um, and I'm a girl who happens to be very good at math. So I know I'll that, Lana. That's that. why we have you on. <laughs> 
But, um, you know, there is the political, what is happening, the race for the presidency that we're seeing unfold. Uh, the president has announced his his campaign for reelection um, within the first year in office. He has been campaigning on Twitter. Uh, that campaign has never ended. So we're seeing we're seeing that and we're seeing all the Democrats starting to announce and their political posturing. Um, but then there's also the long term effects of this. And and that's something that that all of us, Republicans, Democrats, um, liberal or conservative, need to be concerned about because um, it does set up a precedent for how we interact, how the branches of government uh, continue to um, either check each other or work in harmony or uh, or completely devolve, uh, which is you know, if you listen to some of my friends, what's what's happening in, <laughs> in Washington right now. But but, uh, you know, when we're talking about these requests for information and we already heard the White House come out very strongly uh, yesterday that uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders says, thank you. We got the letter. We'll respond to it. But you're not going to get the information, not without a fight, uh, that uh, that whatever happens in the course of this. And and that's also uh, something that I'll, I'll say um, about the uh, the resolution, the joint resolution um, in, in Congress that the Senate is, is looking to vote on. Whatever happens in terms of how they re- the White House responds, whatever happens in terms of how the Senate decides to check the powers of the executive, that's going to continue in the for the next administration and the next administration, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, and that will be notable um, when the vote comes in the Senate to uh, try to block the president's emergency declaration. We know uh, from what Mitch McConnell's even said that the Republicans, there's enough Republicans going to break ranks on that to rebuke the president. That's um, huge. And that's huge a big news. moment. Yeah. You know, I had asked President Trump about that in the Oval Office just before he uh, he left for Hanoi. And he had said at the time that he thought that Republicans were going to stick with him in the Senate. He didn't think that they'd get enough votes. So it is a big deal that they are now going to uh, pass that. Of course, President Trump is going to veto it his as soon first as it, veto. His yeah. very first veto as soon as it, it lands on his desk. But but it is Congress actually standing up uh, to say that the power of the purse continues to belong uh, to the legislative branch. And Lana, in addition to being good at math, you're good at foreign policy. And we promised, <laughs> we promised some foreign policy discussion. And there's some really big headlines uh, out of this. Uh, just a week ago. I'm blushing, listeners. Uh, the, just a week ago, the, the summit in Hanoi fell apart. Uh, the president walked away. He says he walked away without a deal because the, he says the North Koreans were demanding a full lifting of sanctions. Uh, but it was a pretty amical breakup, such as those things go. The president is still very confident in the relationship he has with Chairman Kim. Uh, now comes news this week that the North Koreans seem to be at it again. It looks like uh, there's there are more efforts to uh, to try to to build up their long range missile capabilities. Um, this seems to be a pretty a, a pretty striking spit in the face of the president, who uh, puts so much on the line in putting this summit together, and is still hopeful that uh, we're, we're we're headed toward a denuclearized peninsula. Isn't this remarkable? So the the North Koreans, according to new satellite images, um, have restarted the Sohei launch facility. That's a long range nuclear uh, potential facility. Um, And after the first summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, they dismantled it. Uh, and they even said to uh, to South Korean leadership that that they'd be willing to allow U S inspectors in to witness them dismantling this facility. And now, after the second summit, 
they just days later they have now put big cranes there there's construction equipment there are supplies being brought in and it's all in plain sight so this is either an, a negotiation tactic on the part of Kim Jong Un or they really are moving forward with this but in either case it's concerning and you see in the aftermath the difficulty with which so many Trump administration officials have had trying to square the president's statements with all of uh, all of the realities that have emerged since then um, around his comments about auto warm beer uh, in mm-hmm. particular but but more broadly the, the this this summit and this uh, the, the outreach to the North Koreans has really not sat well with a whole lot of members of Congress and a whole lot of people inside the Trump administration and, and I have to imagine with our uh, with our allies in South Korea as well. I mean, President Trump um, continues to say nice things about Kim Jong Un, the the dictator and leader of North Korea, um, and his comments about Otto Warmbier had his had uh, Warmbier's parents actually issuing a. Uh, a statement that uh, you hope no parent would ever have to go through, first of all, what they went through with their their, their son, um, but then also to be re-traumatized by feeling like the president of the United States, who had once invited them to the first State of the Union as their as his guests, who had used their son's name repeatedly um, as part of the reason why we had to be tough on North Korea, that, that he would now say that he believes Kim Jong-un at his word that he was not involved, that he didn't know about the torture that this young American college student had suffered at the hands of, of uh, North Korean government officials that that led to his death. And uh, and in addition to that, the, the Trump administration just announced that they would not be conducting their joint military exercises with South Korea. All of these things that it seems like the Trump administration is giving up for what in return for North Korea continuing their uh, their military posturing, it, it doesn't seem like a big win like President Trump had previously uh, tried to, so- to sell it. And briefly, Alana, I want to talk about Syria because uh, there was a really striking image that the Washington Post uh, unearthed, uh, a letter that a bunch of members of Congress wrote to the president uh, imploring him to reconsider uh, his position on Syria. He announced via tweet that all American troops would be leaving, that ISIS had been defeated, and that uh, we were ready to move on and get out of Syria entirely. He has championed that cause, trumpeted that cause. He's had a lot of conservative uh, pushback on that. Lindsey Graham, his good friend mm-hmm. from South Carolina, among others, saying he's making a big mistake. We have seen senses of, uh, a sense of the administration walking that back, but there in the president's own handwriting, in, in the way that he responds to this letter from members of Congress, that only he can, in a big blocky lettering, lettering with his big... Sharpie marker. Bold signature in Sharpie, just like he would sign a check with, maybe. He says that uh, he agrees with all of that, and all of those things are being done. It, it's a 180, Lana, from the position that he so clearly articulated just a couple of months ago. And yet the White House doesn't call it a 180. They don't say that it is a change. They say that, that the president uh, is drawing down troops and will continue to do so consistent with with what he's uh, what he announced. But it really does go to so much of what we've seen from this administration and President Trump making these bold pronouncements uh, without consultation with his military leaders, without consultation with members of Congress. And then when he gets some additional information, uh, everybody trying to scramble to make it all fit together in a way that doesn't jeopardize the U.S. interests abroad. And in this case, um, the, the quick drawdown of U.S. troops in Syria 
had the potential to be catastrophic. And we heard that from so many hawkish Republicans like Senator Lindsey Graham. But we also heard that um, from our own intelligence officials and military leaders here in this country. All right, Lana, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Congressman Ro Khanna, a member of the House Oversight Committee, to talk about this blizzard of new investigations. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics, and we are pleased to be joined now by Congressman Ro Khanna, a Democrat from California representing Silicon Valley. Uh, you may have seen him on television during that marathon Michael Cohen hearing because he is a member of the House Oversight Committee and, and involved in, in a whole bunch of different efforts uh, at that committee and otherwise. Congressman, welcome. Thanks, uh, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, our pleasure. So, Congressman, I want to start with uh, where things left off a bit last week and also where uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler seemed to pick up the ball with these 81 letters that are being sent out out of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Oversight Committee last week seemed to lay the groundwork for a lot of these different inquiries. What, in your view, what is the end goal here? What did Democrats hope to get out of this very confusing and often overlapping series of uh, almost unprecedented in its scope series of investigations? Well, the thing is that the American public don't know all the facts, right? These investigations, whether it's the Mueller report, uh, Mueller investigation, or the Southern District of New York have been taking place, and they've been taking place in private. And I think the biggest responsibility Congress has is to get these facts out there so the American people can decide for themselves. In the Oversight Committee, uh, our focus is going to be on two areas. One uh, are the financial crimes that were likely committed by the president and his family in the reimbursements to Michael Cohen. I mean, Michael Cohen testified that the president was sitting in the Oval Office devising a scheme on how to repay him, writing checks himself, uh, directing Donald Trump Jr. to write him checks through the Trump Organization. Uh, we need to explore that and get all of those facts out. And second is the security clearances, uh, this, this idea that uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump are getting high-level security information. And it's not partisan. Look, I've worked with Jared Kushner on the White House in Office of Innovation. I have no problem with the work he's doing there. But having him get sensitive information, which he then may be sharing with MBS in Saudi Arabia, affecting uh, our policy there, that is just wrong. And so those are the two areas I think that the Oversight Committee will focus on. Uh, Congressman, I want to play for for you something that uh, that Congressman Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, said uh, on this week on Sunday, and then uh, we uh, get your reaction to that to, to get some sense of where things are going. We've seen real threats to the rule of law from this White House, uh, whether uh, uh, personal enrichment. We, the White House seems to have used its power for personal enrichment, uh, in violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. We've seen uh, abuses of power. And, uh, uh, and obstruction of justice, uh, threats to the Mueller investigation, threats to witnesses—all of these have to be and abuses. Of, uh, all of these have to be investigated and laid out to the American people. So you, you just heard there the chairman of the committee says power for personal enrichment, violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution, obstruction of justice, abuse of power, threats to witnesses. You just added to that likely financial crimes. Is this? grounds for impeachment? And if so, why not? Is this, are all these investigations sort of dancing around the big issue, which is that Democrats believe that there's enough to impeach the president of the United States? Well, we have to make the case, uh, and we have to make the case methodically. Part of that case is making sure the Mueller report is public. Part of the case uh, is uh, through these committees and investigations. And the reason to make the case is, my hope is, that uh, reasonable Republicans at some point will say uh, this is uh, uh, crazy and uh, some action is required. But I, I think that being methodical 
uh, is important. You would remember as a student of history, Rick, I mean, with Richard Nixon, uh, the Republicans never turned on him until you had the tapes. And so I think people like Nadler are saying, let's be methodical, let's build the evidence, uh, and then uh, we can decide what comes next. But Congressman, when you're talking about Richard Nixon, that was a very specific incident uh, that led to impeachment. This is such a wide-ranging investigation, 81 different letters looking into financial crimes, looking into uh, a whole list of different issues. Doesn't this run the risk of turning the American public against you when President Trump continues to call it presidential harassment? Well, the polling I've seen shows that 60 percent of Americans believe the president has committed uh, some crime either before or after being president, and almost half believe he's committed a crime uh, after being president. Uh, so I think that they want to know uh, exactly what went wrong. Uh, I do think it's important for us to focus uh, the investigations on three or four key themes. In my view, uh, the first theme is his obstruction of justice uh, with the Russia uh, collusion. Uh, the second theme is what exactly happened with his financial interests and in Russia. The third theme is this financial crimes uh, that he may have committed. And finally, uh, the abuse of power on security clearances. I, I think it's important for Democrats to say, look, there are three, four key areas that we're focused on. Uh, and a lot of those 81 requests, are, they're not 81 investigations. That's looking for investigation on these three or four key themes. But, but particularly the first two that you mentioned, the collusion with Russia, obstruction of justice regarding Russia, uh, financial ties to Russia – isn't that already part of the Mueller investigation? Don't you have faith that the special counsel's office is going to turn up anything uh, related to that? And and doesn't it seem um, to lead a little bit of credence to what the president's claiming is, is just making a political show of things when there's an uh, investigation that is taking place in a nonpartisan way by the special counsel? I, I don't because the uh, special investigation is private and the president's resisting the report being public. You know, maybe if the president said, look, I am open to the Mueller investigation being report being completely public and having Bob Mueller testify before these committees and uh, explain to the American public exactly what he found. Uh, maybe there wouldn't be as much of a need for investigations on those areas. But until we get the Mueller report public and until Mueller testifies, uh, the Congress has a duty uh, to inform the public about these investigations that are taking place, and the president should welcome that. I mean, he should want the facts out there if he thinks that he's innocent. Congressman, to my mind, implicit in what you say about needing to make the case is that not all of the public believes the case is made. And I feel like a piece of that, to, to Lana's point, is the potential for Democrats to go too far, to look like this is harassment. And when you look at those 81 letters, it really it rehashes a lot of things over the last two years. And I think uh, you would argue, and I think a lot of people would agree, there's a lot of pent-up demand for investigations, given that Republicans didn't show much interest in investigating a, a, a president of their own party. But the flip of that is that by going this broad, by fishing off of all of these peers, uh, you look like you're you're just looking for something. And it, it doesn't seem to me, tell me where we're wrong here, it doesn't seem to me like there's the same kind of focus coming out of the, at least the Judiciary Committee with these requests that you suggested uh, out of the Oversight Committee. Well, look, the administration has done a lot of wrong things, and uh, that's because you have a president uh, who 
uh, thought uh, being president of the United States was like being a real estate developer in New York. And my guess is uh, Donald Trump is used to getting whatever he wants in life. And he had a team of lawyers like Michael Cohen, and he said, get it done, and they did. Well, being president of the United States is very different. You have uh, oversight. There are rules. There are uh, regulations. In fact, I remember a conversation with Nancy Pelosi early on, and he said, she said, Trump is going to get himself in trouble because he just doesn't understand how careful you have to be uh, with the laws. And so here's the challenge we have. He has violated probably uh, 10 different laws in, in, t in many ways. I agree with you, though, that we have to be focused and, fo and focus on the big violations, because otherwise people uh, may not be able to uh, process everything. And that's why I think it's important to focus, in my opinion, on the Mueller investigation and getting that report public and on, and on what's going on in the Southern District of New York and the security clearances. I think those br three broad themes are what will uh, stick with the American public. So, Congressman, let's, uh, let's change... Um speeds a little bit. And let's talk about 2020. You've recently signed on um, to the Bernie Sanders campaign as a co-chair. Um, what are your observations and what do you think your chances are uh, heading into this big race? You know, he's off to a fantastic start, uh, better than I expected in terms of the crowds. I was just out in Chicago introducing him and he had 13,000 people there. Uh, you know, last time he ran, he when he started out, he had maybe a thousand people in Chicago. He had huge crowds in Brooklyn. He's raised all of this money, ten million dollars, and only a handful of those folks have maxed out. So it's a donor base that's going to continue to to support him. And I think the pe thing the people underestimate about Bernie Sanders is his ability to connect with rural communities, uh, with working class voters, with many of the folks, frankly, who flipped from Obama to Trump. So I think he's going to be a strong contender. I mean, it would be foolish for anyone to uh, to think it's not going to be a fight for the nomination. Uh, but I certainly think he's going to be one of the top three contenders. Congressman, uh, Senator Sanders, I think, took us back to 2016 the other day. He was on The View and asked about Hillary Clinton and uh, said, said he pretty forthright that he doesn't plan on asking her for advice, that there are fundamental differences between him and Hillary Clinton. Anyone who remembers 2016 remembers that there were fundamental differences between him and Hillary Clinton, and he talked about them all the time. But are, is that right of him to say? I mean, why, why not? Why shouldn't he seek the counsel of Hillary Clinton, the, the last Democrat to, uh, to, to seek the presidency, to win the nomination, and uh, someone who actually got more votes than Donald Trump? Why, not? why shouldn't Bernie Sanders be talking to Hillary Clinton? Well, I've spoken to Secretary Clinton since after the election. I have tremendous respect for her. I've uh, sought her advice on issues on Yemen, and I sought her advice on uh, the Internet Bill of Rights. So I uh, do think uh, that she has had a, a distinguished career in public service. She's a, a brilliant uh, person, and that uh, uh, anyone should seek uh, her counsel. Uh, and my hope is that uh, uh, Senator Sanders would uh, at some point, uh, certainly in, during the course of the campaign or uh, it, when he is president. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think there was obviously uh, a very spirited primary uh, last time. Uh, but I, my advice to him would be to uh, to reach out and uh, certainly where there are differences, make that clear, uh, but that to, to uh, draw on her uh, extraordinary experience and, uh, uh, and issues where uh, she does offer expertise. And you brought up uh, Yemen. So I'd love to talk about that because you've authored legislation that would withdraw U.S. military support for the coalition there. Um, if it makes it to the president's desk, obviously this would be the first time Congress has used the War Powers Act uh, to withdraw American forces. Um, 
what do you think the chances are and 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 do you have any sense of whether this will actually even come up for uh for a vote in the senate well we passed it through the house i've learned how uh, clever mcconnell is at parliamentary procedure he got the parliamentarian to vote that it was not privileged it's a technical issue but he basically is forcing us to re-vote on it uh senator sanders and senator lee now are going to have to pass it through the senate they will we will repass it uh through the house of representatives and then it will go to the president and i you know i was on speaking with lindsey graham yesterday uh and he said that he's concerned about what's going on in saudi arabia uh given the uh that they're supplying arms to al-qaeda uh in yemen given that uh, mbs has basically admitted to being in, involved in khashoggi's uh killings so i think that there is a bipartisan consensus uh that our policy uh, needs to change uh, I'm, I don't know if the president would uh, sign uh, the resolution or veto it, uh, but what I do know is that the president will make uh, a shift uh, in our policy and make it clear to the coalition that the bombing has to stop and we can prevent 14 million people in Yemen from uh, facing famine. All right. Congressman Rokana, Democrat from California, a co-chair of the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign, a member of the House Oversight Committee, and now a powerhouse politics contributor. Thanks for being here. Appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks a lot. So, Lana, I think some intriguing issues, I think, are are raised by that conversation around how the Democrats are handling this. Because I think if you talk to members of the committee, they do feel like there is a, a need to focus on a couple of things. But if you look at 81 letters that touch on every bad. right every aspect of, of Trump's life, really, over not just the last two years, but going back before that, a lot of business interests, entities around the transition, entities around the campaign, um, not not getting to the family members, at least not just yet. But of course, there's other areas where they get in. It, 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 it feeds a perception that the Democrats are just looking for something when yeah. they have a lot of some things, tangible, smaller things that they could be honing in on, they seem to be starting very broad. Yeah, and I think that that's that's where President Trump's argument that this is presidential harassment starts to come into play and and starts to gain some traction in the minds of the American public because um, nobody wants to think that the president is uh, is just going to be investigated until they find something. And, uh, and, and part of what the president has been saying recently has been that uh, he believes that that the Mueller report is not going to um, show evidence of collusion with Russia or any crimes on his part with Russia. Obviously, other crimes have been revealed, but um, but he he's he's making the case that that's why Republic that's why Democrats are now going um, after him. And we heard the committee chair Jerry Nadler say that that he felt the need to to investigate all these things because for the last two years he says the Republican controlled House hasn't been doing their oversight uh, responsibility, but. It just the messaging of it uh, it doesn't seem to be, um, I think, in some ways, even well thought out by the Democratic leadership, because you hear you hear them sort of struggling to say, no, this is this is tightly focused. We believe that it's these areas. But when you get to to 81 yeah. letters and you and you hear Cohen's testimony talking about his his grades in school, it, it does sort of seem like it's a fishing expedition. And the counter argument to that, as Congressman Khanna outlined, is that there's a lot of stuff out there because two years of a president who has broken every boundary, every standard and maybe some laws, as he suggests, uh, has a lot of pent up demand for investigations. And you know, in, in a in a quote unquote normal world or in a, in a world even where the Democrats had had control of the House over the last two years, 
they would have fired off letters like these after Revelations. A lot of these were just tied to, to news stories, things that people know about now, and that they're just looking for more documents. A lot of these documents have been produced or have been requested by other committees. So maybe this is just them kind of clearing their throats in a, in a very loud way at the beginning of, of the Congress, remembering that they lost a month or so due to the border wall fight and the government shutdown has taken a little bit longer. And that's why you sit here at the beginning of March. But this this does seem like it's a an important week, a week that we remembered for a whole lot of questions that are getting getting asked and uh, and maybe the political consequences thereof. Absolutely. And and, you know, I think it's also so interesting to remind our listeners that uh, that the impeachment word is one that the Democratic leadership has said they need to stay away from. Pelosi has been crystal clear with her members. We're not talking about impeachment. Nadler, when he was talking to George Stephanopoulos was saying, oh, this is not impeachment, this is investigation, a different I word. But when it's all leading up to that same potential conclusion, when it looks like like they are, um, they are uh, searching for something to take down the president with, well, then, then it seems like it's impeachment. So let's call a a spade, a spade on that Yeah, one. I mean, the, these investigations look like they'd be at least taking the place of that, if not leading in that direction. It, and there's it, a lot of the members of the Democratic base that want that, right. that have been desperate for that. And so uh, they're they're trying to play both the, the base and feed on that anger and that, that resistance. Um, and then they're also trying to tell the American public... Don't worry, we're we're not actually harassing the president. <laughs> and don't forget 2020ers who probably like a lot of these things out there as well. Uh, all right, Lana, thank you for so ably filling in today. Thank Thanks, you for being pleasure. here. Uh, that's all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thanks to our entire team here, Trevor Hastings, the man behind the controls, Yay! Angie Yak, Avery Miller, and the whole team here at Powerhouse Politics. We'll catch you next time.